text in Philippians. We're going to be Philippians 3, verses, we're going to start at 14 to 21. Page 1826 in the Blue Bible, if you're using the Bible in your chair. And so, Paul had this frame of mind. He had this absolute certain assurance that Jesus was coming back. He was coming again. And it's with that love and that urgency that he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And so, beginning at Philippians 3.14... I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained and remember Paul last week reminded us that we had attained Christ's righteousness, right? We have been given his righteousness because of a gift of grace. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, And now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tell you a little story from a book I read called Leota's Garden. And it was a story of a grandma and a granddaughter who really did not know each other because of family dysfunction. Can you say dysfunction? Sin? Sin. All right. So there was sin in the family, and because of some hidden secrets, some hidden sins, some things that nobody ever dared to confront or talk about, this granddaughter never had the privilege of getting to know her grandma. And her grandma had prayed every night that somehow the Lord would bring the relationship so that she could have a relationship with her kids and her grandkids. And so the granddaughter started praying and um, knew Jesus. And since the Lord was directing her to try to establish a relationship with her grandma, And so the granddaughter called her up and asked if she could come to visit, and oh, the grandma was so excited. But she was embarrassed, too, because the grandma had terrible arthritis, could not get around and take care of her home and her garden like she had done in the past. And her garden really had been such a a place of meeting with the Lord all these years, and then she couldn't take care of it. Well, when the granddaughter came over, she just had the sense that maybe she should offer to help restore the garden. And so the grandma was so excited, you know, but she didn't want to seem too excited 
because she was still just trying to get to know her granddaughter and she knew how much work it would be. But the granddaughter, Anne, convinced Grandma that she really wanted to come. So she came the next Saturday and the Grandma said, we're going to start by pruning the fruit trees. Well, there were weeds knee-high. There was old molded fruit from years of not collecting the fruit up and gathering it, so there was a lot of bugs and whatever. But anyway, Anne, the granddaughter, was ready to go, and the grandma stood at the base of the tree and said, Okay, Anne, climb the ladder, and first we're going to start by taking all the diseased and the dead wood off of the tree. And so Anne had her pruners and um, so she started, and, and she was like, Grandma said, that one? All right, now you see that one with the brown leaves? That's gotten broken. Now clip that off and go right below, just above where there's a growth bud and snip that off. And she kept looking at me and saying, okay, now work your way down, Anne. And Anne had to leave the ladder and was actually climbing in the tree and then painting as she went, painting over the little branches where she would cut so that the sap wouldn't keep bleeding and so that germs and bacteria couldn't get into the tree or parasites or whatever gets into trees. And anyway, and so sealing it off, cutting, trimming, pruning, the light starts to come into the tree, the air can start to circulate, and by the end, they both stood at the base of this tree and um, looked up, and the light was shining through, and the leaves kind of looked golden on the edge, and there was a well-pruned tree, Well, this college student that was standing by and kind of helping, his name was Corbin, and he says, well, I don't know why you cut all these branches off this tree. Now it's not going to have much fruit. And the grandma said, oh, no, it will bear much more fruit now that it's had a good pruning. Our lives are like that. We don't know how to live unless we have a grandma or somebody that can point us in the right direction. Right? Anne didn't know how to prune the tree, but she was willing, and the grandma had the wisdom. But in order for that tree to give good fruit, it needed to have light, it needed to have air, it needed to have the branches that were wounded cut off, it needed to have the dead stuff removed. And our lives, when we're new in Christ, we're new creations, but we've still got some damage from being born into a life of sin. And we've got some ways that the Lord wants to prune us and clean us up and help us so that we'll have fruitful lives. And I believe that that's what Paul is getting at when he's trying to warn the church about Christian living. Yes, we have this righteousness, but we have to learn how to walk into this righteousness. We have to live it out. And so he started by um, addressing it last week, and um, he addressed the two. The first of two, they call them twin heresies. The first one was legalism. Remember last week, if you were here, you remember that he was warning them about the ones that were the mutilators of the flesh, those dogs. Remember, like he would use some kind of raw language there. But he was saying, anybody that's going to say that salvation is grace plus circumcision or plus works, that is not truth. You have salvation by grace alone through faith. Does that ring a bell? Do you remember we looked at that last week? And so the first heresy was legalism. Well, what he's addressing in this section is what they call a twin heresy. It's antinomianism. And so it's anti-lawism. 
And so just as we don't have to do something to earn salvation, we also can't live as if God isn't the ruler that can give us laws to live by. All right? So one is saying you have to do this to earn salvation. The other today is saying the, the lie is that you can just live any old way you want to because I've got God's righteousness, and so now I can just eat, drink, and be merry until he comes back to save me. That is a lie. That is not truth, and that's what he's addressing this morning. R.C. Sproul says that we are justified by grace alone through faith, not by works. All believers grow in faith by keeping God's commands, not to gain God's favor, but out of loving gratitude for the grace already bestowed upon us through the work of Jesus Christ. All right? So this is what we're looking at. And Paul is addressing these people who have these um, worldly appetites. There, it says in verse 19, their destruction, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their God is in their stomach. It's a way, it's a kind of a visceral, literal way of saying they're going after their appetite, whatever it is that they want. Think about appetites. You can have an appetite for food, and some people think, well, maybe he was talking about those that were following these strict laws about food. But I think what he's talking about is anything that we're hungry for other than Jesus. If we're going after something else that we have a worldly appetite for, what might we have worldly appetites for? There's many things, but none of them are going to give satisfaction. Sometimes as Christians in our old life, we bring that old life into our Christian life and we think, well, I get caught up in consumerism. So if I just had some more stuff, if I just had some more new furniture, if I just had a new um, motorcycle, a really shiny red one like that, and if I could just go fast. But how fast is fast enough? How long of a road trip would be a long enough road trip? What if our appetite isn't for a shiny red motorcycle, but what if our appetite is for some um, alcohol? How much would be enough? How much would be enough to numb the pain that came from some old hurts and some family sins? You know, tolerance, you drink, and then you just, that doesn't do it. So you drink a little more. You drink a little more. That's how addictions start, right? It's not just alcohol. It's crack. It's heroin. It's the pills. Whatever it is that might be going and I'm preaching to you because some of us have done this. Some of us know we've done it. Some of us haven't wanted to tell anybody we've done it. But maybe there's still some dead wood in our lives that needs to be trimmed off this morning. And I'm saying the worldly appetites, these things that our stomachs tell us and our bodies tell us, this is what I'd go after. I'll just smoke one more joint, and then maybe I'll feel satisfied. One more joint is not going to do it. One more new thing at the grocery store or the mall isn't, you know, one more outfit isn't going to do it. One more golf game isn't going to do it. 
one more click on pornography is not going to do it. You will never be satisfied until you're satisfied in Jesus Christ. And Paul is warning people. He's warning the church. He's saying, you, church in Philippi, you may or may not have anybody there right now that is living this way that thinks that because they have their, um, their free pass because they know Jesus and declare that he's Lord, that they can just live any old way. He's warning them, you're living like I am Lord instead of Jesus is Lord. And the indicators of that is that there's self-indulgence and lives get out of control like unpruned trees. If your life or if you look around and other people's lives are like unpruned trees and neglected and things, the, the branches are going every which way, there's dead stuff, it's chaotic, that is living as if I am Lord and not following God's commands. The focus is short-term, all right? It's focused on the here and the now instead of Jesus and eternity. And the end result is destruction and shame. Remember, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that I might have life and have it to the full, that you might have life and have it to the full. And so Paul's warning the church about those that may profess to be Christians but they are not living like Jesus is Lord. Now, I saw a little video, and some of you may have seen it too, of Priscilla Shire teaching um, about righteousness recently. She's a, um, just a fun, excellent Bible teacher from down in Texas. And anyway, she was telling this story about her little boys and that she went to Walmart and got them some fishing poles and some bobbers and they had this pond across the street and their neighbors let them come to this pond and so they usually just stand on the shore and fish. Well, she said sometimes she gets a little adventurous and there's a metal rowboat that um, lays there in the grass along the shore and sometimes she says, boys, let's go out in the lake and paddle out there and fish off the boat today. But she said what is required is that they have to turn that boat over in order to get out there. Well, she said she stands back and, and takes a hold of one end of the boat and the boys take the other and they flip it over. And she said inevitably something either hops out or it waddles out or it slithers out. And she said she every time thinks, oh man, what's going to be under this? Well, she said, when we're living unrighteously, it's this environment. She said, never have I had to go and say, okay, all critters at 1 p.m., I'll meet you under the boat and I'm going to flip you over and expose you. She said, I've never had to say, I'd like the bugs and I'd like the snakes to come over and meet me under the boat. She said, no, she doesn't have to give an invitation. That stuff just comes because that's the environment that those things like is dark, damp, cool. She said, the demonic, the flesh likes the dark, damp coolness, the cover. It doesn't like to be exposed. And she said, living an upright life of righteousness is living under God's law, inviting his guidance, 
to expose anything that is not supposed to be there. But when we live with our lives like an upside-down boat, we don't have to give an invitation. It's just there. That stuff, that temptation, it's just always there. All right. I thought that was kind of a, can you picture it? All right. Paul can picture it too. And he knows that they don't have to work hard at living wrong. The enemy likes to deceive them. And he likes to deceive us and say, we can just live any old way we want to. But that stuff that's under the boat, it's all poisonous. Now, we think that story is kind of funny because probably a fog jumps out and she goes, ooh, you know. There is only poisonous, deadly stuff because the wages of sin is death. The consequences of going down a a sin pattern is disruption of family, just like, remember, Leota and Anne, the grandma and the granddaughter, they didn't have a relationship because of sin in the family. Any, Any sin that we follow down that path, anything hidden under that boat, is going to lead to destruction in our lives. And if we falsely believe that Jesus laid his life down so that we could just live any old way we want, we don't really understand who Jesus is. Because he isn't just a savior who gives us a get-out-of-jail-free that gives us an eternal life. He's Jesus is Lord. And in this passage alone, Paul brings in Savior and Jesus is Lord in the same sentence. Savior bringing back the Old Testament idea that there was a deliverer, there was a Savior that was coming. And he says that Savior is also Lord. He's king, he's master, he has a kingdom rule. And so we don't get to have the Savior without having him also as Lord. And so we come and we live our lives like an upright boat saying, Lord, show me the way that I should live so that I can walk in the light, so that I can walk according to you because you are Lord. I love this, that Paul shows us that there's grace upon grace to not fall into the pitfalls of deception. He says, if you think any differently, God will make it clear to you. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit who lives in us keeps guiding us, keeps teaching us? Um, The passage that you opened with this morning, Pastor Jalisa, you know that he would take our hand. We don't need to fear. He'll guide us. If we aren't thinking correctly about some aspect of our lives, he's going to guide us. He also gives us this grace to say, follow my example. The Lord is so good. Jesus came to earth. And he lived out this beautiful, perfect life. But then he left the disciples so that there would be an example, a real-life example of people that were starting to follow Jesus as Lord, that were starting to make the kingdom ways their ways, so that there would be real-life examples, just like the grandma who tells Anne, I know how to prune, right? There's some wisdom in some people that have walked with the Lord a little longer, and they can show us how to walk. They know how to live like Jesus is Lord. And you see the evidence of this, that they have self-control. Their lives aren't chaotic. There might be some messy areas, but their lives generally 
are becoming more and more, there's a trajectory of becoming more and more ordered because they're coming under kingdom order. God's recreating them. Just like in the garden, remember in the garden picture in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, it was designed perfectly. Then there's the fall with sin, and then God starts to restore. And in the end, he's going to not only restore the whole earth, but he's going to restore our lives so that we perfectly reflect Christ. Their focus, if you're walking like Paul, if you're walking like others that love Jesus, their focus is the long term. It's to know Christ. Remember, Christ is the prize. And so he leans forward and he strains toward knowing Christ. The end result is glory, that God gets the glory and we actually get glorified bodies. Now I want to go to a teaching from our church, the Belgic Confession. And I think it helps us to see that Paul wasn't saying he was perfect, that he was he said, I'm actually the chief of sinners, but yet he's, he's trying to follow the Lord. And so how do we tell? Paul's trying to teach them. How do you tell who's really walking with the Lord? And so here's a little teaching from the Belgic Confession, Article 29. As for those who can belong to the church, this is under the section of the marks of the true church. We can recognize them by distinguishing marks of Christians. Namely, by faith, they're pronouncing that Jesus is the Savior, by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought we had already been given righteousness. Well, we have. We are justified, and so positionally, the Lord looks at us and says, the sin is paid for. But... We're pursuing righteousness because we have to walk it out. And we have to, there's this process. Remember, there's justification. Our sin is paid for. But there's sanctification. We're being made more and more like Christ in his image as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So they're pursuing righteousness. That's a mark of the church. Once they've received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. They love the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or the left. So more and more we're going to love God. And we're going to care about others. Remember, just like Paul said, Timothy, I've got nobody like him who looks after Jesus' interests and he cares about other people. Okay, these Christians will crucify the flesh and its works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. If you are a Christian, you have forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, you are in this process of the Lord calling you more and more to walk in righteousness, to fight against those parts of your old life that need to die, that need to be pruned out, that need to be cleaned up. So there's no condemnation, but there is correction. And I believe today the Lord is shining his light and he's saying, if there's anything under the boat, any sin that's there that's maybe hidden that you haven't told anybody, he's just saying, flip the boat over. He goes, I can see through the boat. God knows what's under the boat. God knows the sin in your life. And he's saying, bring it to me. Bring it to the light. Let my spirit help you. And you, how do you fight this battle? You say, By the death of Jesus Christ, he won the victory over sin. And he's given me power to resist sin, to flee from it, 
Sometimes we need some people to help us, but he's given us the authority and the power to stand against those pulls from our old lives and the pull from the world and the temptation even of the enemy to try to get us to go in a way that would lead towards death, destruction, damage. Some of you have resisted some things. You've walked out of some lifestyles. And praise God, he's helped you. I'm looking at you. You've walked out of a lifestyle. You've been in a different way. You've walked a different way. And Jesus has been resurrecting you. He's been changing you. He's been transforming you. You're walking in the light. Your life is getting ordered. Your life is getting so that there's air coming through and there's light coming through like a prune tree that can get the right, the right environment so that good fruit can come. The fruit of righteousness, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, right? Paul says, find a good role model. He says, look to me, look to people that are walking like me. He's already held up Timothy, Aphroditus, right? Or Epaphroditus, the one that I have a hard time saying, right? But he's saying, look for a role model. Look for a role model. Look for somebody who knows how to prune that stuff out of their life. Walk with them as they follow Christ. So it's not an ego thing for him to say, follow me. Because he's already told us, I'm following Christ. I don't have this all figured out, but Christ does. And I'm going to walk with him and the Holy Spirit's going to show me how to walk this life. Learning the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life. Paul was watching Jesus. Others were watching Paul. What did Jesus do? Jesus, what did his life look like? He humbled himself. He loved unconditionally. He lived perfectly without sin. He was devoted to his Father's will. Think about that. What did Jesus' life on earth look like? He loved to serve rather than being served. Remember how he got down and washed the disciples' feet? He loved to get up and spend time with his father just because he had such a deep relationship with him. Paul's example, Paul's life. What did Paul's life look like? He was living boldly for the gospel. He acknowledged his weakness and his fight against sin, but he was striving to live righteously. Paul tolerated hardships and imprisonment because he could see that God's sovereignty, that there was kingdom purpose in every situation. So he was looking for that kingdom purpose. We aren't looking for kingdom purpose if we're thinking we are king. If we're thinking, I am Lord, I'm not looking for God's purposes in my life. I'm looking for the next promotion or the next thing that I think is going to give me joy or happiness or pleasure or some worldly appetite. But if I'm living kingdom-minded and Jesus-focused, I'm looking for what is Jesus doing in this? How does he want me to respond? Right? And so we're learning to live the cruciform life. And there's always going to be more joy in that, more confident, peaceful, optimistic, looking toward the future when Jesus is our focus. Because it is certain. Learning by example. I have learned so much from watching people along the journey of my Christian walk. I've learned and watched for ordered lives, and I've tried to figure out what do they do, how do they live, 
And I've watched how some people in my family were people that got up early and prayed. And I saw how the Lord met them there. I've seen how the, um, one of the women in a Bible study once asked, she was, we were writing our sins down and confessing them to each other. And her sin was, um, I've been overeating and I'm not drinking enough water. And I'm like, man, I hope I ever get to that point in my life. Like, if that's the big sin that I'm confessing, you know, like, because I just thought, who confesses this? But, I mean, she was broken. She was broken about not taking care of her body as a temple. Do I need to tell you how many years I lived not letting the Lord be the Lord of my appetite? All right? You guys know. I've been honest. I've been vulnerable with you to say I've struggled in the area of turning to food for comfort. And the Lord has helped me in the last year to lose 80 pounds. Now, praise God, but that was probably about 20 years of overeating. That was 20 years of letting myself be Lord in one area of my life instead of Jesus be Lord. What do you have under that boat? What has the Holy Spirit maybe been convicting you of to say, it's time to let this go. It's time to get some help. It's time to bring this out in the light. Because he wants us to live in this fullness of life. He wants us to live in a way that reflects Jesus, to have ordered lives in the world rather than disordered. He wants our relationships to be sweet, our family relationships. He wants strong marriages. Our church is supposed to represent strong marriages or strong friendships for those that are single, to have godly friendships where they get together and they do things that honor Jesus rather than reflect whatever the world says friends do. Right? Are you finding an example? Are you finding someone? Because Paul says, keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on people who live like we do. And so... We don't have to go it alone in the scripture you read. Jesus takes our hand and he says, you can take the hand of somebody else too. Somebody that's walked along this road just a little further. Because what does he have for us? He has, he doesn't want us to miss this glorious ending of when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. And I noticed that what Paul did in both of these sections is that he ends up He says, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about our resurrected bodies, this glorious. Remember, Paul had had this encounter on the road to Damascus. And I think that whatever happened in that time, in addition to his conversion and like radically going from being one that persecuted Christians to loving Christ and following him with zeal, I believe there was something so good. And I think that's why Paul cried. To think that there could be this deception that people would be misled to not follow the real Jesus. Because Jesus is so good and he's so beautiful. And our, our, our hope and our future in him is so glorious. And he wants us to be ready. He wants his church to be ready. And so today, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord. Are you surrendered? Are you submitted? Are you willing to let him show you what's under that boat that you've been trying to be hiding? 
and say, I need some help with this. Or maybe you say, I'm getting older and I've walked with the Lord for a long time, but I realize there's probably somebody younger that needs my help. I need to pray for them or I think the Lord would have me show them or help them prune their lives. There's something in it for each one of us today. And the main thing that's in it is Jesus. Jesus is here. He loves you. And he's saying, follow me. Follow my kingdom ways. I want to show you a beautiful life, one that you have never even, it goes beyond your imagination. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have such good things for us and that you are such a good and loving father, that Jesus, you are such a good role model. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you, that your kingdom ways are good and holy. Lord, would you help us to walk in your ways each day. And Lord, would you give us people to walk with, maybe even in more vulnerable and close ways, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.